Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Roka Report podcast. My name's Graham, and today I'm joined by a former Northern Ireland international who played for the lads between the years 2003-2005, played just shy of 70 games for Sunderland, formed part of Mick McCarthy's squad that got to the 2004 FA Cup semi-final, but also won the championship title in 2005. He's also the only man that I've ever personally seen score a goal with a sliding tackle, and perhaps most importantly, he's currently doing some outstanding work as part of the PFA's wellbeing team, helping footballers cope with a range of addiction, mental health issues. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. How are you doing? Thank you very much. No, thanks for the intro. No, thanks for uh, and thanks for having us. You no, know, not a problem at all. I like my wee intros. Yeah, no, very, very good, <laughs> very good. <laughs> nice, easy one to begin with. Mm-hmm. I like lull you into a false sense of security before we get difficult. Who had the best dressing room banter in your two years at Sunderland, and what's your fondest memory of that particular person? There were some um, characters in there as well. There was. There were some big characters, so it's um, it's a difficult one. I spent a lot of time with Sean Dalton, to be fair. And sort of me and him used to sort of bounce off each other and, and, and what have you. And he used to give, to be fair, he used to give Kevin Carl quite quite a hard time at times. But Kevin Carl gave us yeah. as good as he got. You know, he wasn't he wasn't one for taking any uh, any stick. Like I say, there was there was there was different characters. You know what I mean? Marcus Stewart again, yeah. great character in there. Stephen Elliott, as as much as Stephen Elliott was, he could be quiet at times. Again, he could he could be lively as well on the training yeah. ground. You know what I mean? Really great dressing room. It was, you know, I felt it was a dressing room that Mick brought people in. And obviously the fans were a little bit like, oh, who's that? Who's that? Mm-hmm. They went, you know, huge, huge names. But Mick was able to bring a squad of players together who gelled and 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 gelled well. You know, you know, we trained really, really well together. We trained hard and stuff like that. And I think it showed eventually when we got, you know, when we got promoted. What did you think of Sean Thornton's rapping? <laughs> 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 listen again he was a character he's great. Yeah. listen his rapping was shocking let's yeah, get it, was, it right it was really bad you know? yeah. let's get it right he was never gonna it's never gonna be a second career for Sean Thorne no. do you know what I mean? <laughs> but for just comical value do you know what I mean it was comical yeah. you know and uh, at different stages he was just oh I remember he did, he did it once on an aeroplane and he had the plane all <laughs> doing, doing, <laughs> you know doing, it was uh Vanilla ice. Uh, it had to be vanilla ice. Right? Yeah. Vanilla ice, and had, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was listen, it it was rubbish, but it was it was funny. Yeah, you know, um, and yeah, there was probably a bit of him that really, really wanted to be a rapper. <laughs> you know, let's get it yeah. right. But no, it was never going to take off. No, 
and, and I mean, fair play to him for trying it. But, oh, yeah, 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 yeah let, absolutely. Let's, so let's rewind back all the way to when you joined the mm. club, 2003, um, a time as a fan I remember quite well. We'd just been relegated with, at that point, was a record lowest point total of, I think, 19 points. As you're coming into the club, players like Kevin Phillips are going out. Mm. Quinny had just retired, yeah. um, had the likes of, I mean, Jody Craddock had left, a lot like really well-liked players, yeah. Gavin McCann. You walk into that door as well, um, which it must have been at quite a low ebb. What was the mood like coming into the club at that time? To be fair, when I came in, um, which, you know, maybe some of them don't know, when I first came in, only because of my sort of background and stuff like that, and Mick McCarthy knew a bit about my background. Mm -hmm. So I'd come in and uh, I was there for about three months and I was sort of playing reserves and there was a discussion of, you know, the money's not there yet because they need to just shift people out first. Yeah. And so, but also I think he wanted to see how sort of keen I was as well and see, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, at the time I could keep that sort of Focus. addict in me, yeah. you know, oh, right, yeah. without him realising actually they can do it for a period. Yeah. And yeah, listen, it was it was great to have the people like, you know, McCann and, uh, you know, Kevin Phillips and that, but, you know, times change, and those kind of players weren't going to weren't going to stick around that long. And plus, yeah. they were of value to the club, and they could get decent money for them. And yeah. uh, and they needed it, and they needed to bring other players in who weren't who weren't going to be demanding those type of wages. And like I said earlier on, for Mick to bring in the players that he did, and the fans probably going hang about. He's come from <laughs> yeah that division. He's come from that division. How on earth are we going to you know achieve when we get look at what we're getting rid of? But like I say, he brought in players who actually really, really wanted to wanted to play for him. And it's a staple of a, a Mick McCarthy side. I mean, you talk about like maybe un, unfashionable names around sort of your time period. You've got at the time Dean Whitehead, at yeah. the time Liam Lawrence, yeah. the likes of Neil Collins, Danny Collins, who yeah. all, all did a really good job in getting us up and further onwards as well. It's really as a staple of Mick McCarthy that it felt like he signed characters that had a level of talent as well, but it was all about the character, wasn't it? Absolutely, definitely. But Mick, uh, for me, was able to get the best out of those players that he had who, okay, might have not been as as talented as some of the people that he got rid of. However, listen, you, you know, it do, does, doesn't matter what league you play in, hard work, mm -hmm. uh, team who gel with the players who can obviously bring a little bit of quality into that into that squad can obviously get you good results. Yeah. I think that showed, you know what I mean? You know, the players who were in that squad, I think would would easily admit, listen, we weren't the most talented squad of players, but we actually won the league pretty uh pretty well. And then in the cup semi final the season before third I, I, top. Yeah, and... absolutely. You know, and you know, I was gutted. You know, I missed the um the semi final at Old Trafford through uh, suspension, but it was something that it was still an achievement. Yeah. That when you're hearing stuff that how are we going to get promoted, we're never going to achieve, and all of a sudden, you know, things are happening for us. Uh, and I do, I, I do believe that a lot of that came from from Mick McCarthy to be able to get those lads to to, to believe in each other and trust each other. Yeah, you know, it was he was a great manager to work, you know, to work for. It really was. With the really early part of your career at Sunderland and Mick McCarthy's as well in that season. Because I think you made your debut against Mansfield away, your, I think. Your memory's better than mine. <laughs> yeah, bit of an encyclopedia for some <laughs> and stuff. But just after that, I think we played Millwall at home and got beat 1-0. Yeah. 
the game after that was Preston. I think if we lost that, we broke the record for like consecutive defeats. Yeah. That level of pressure is like insane going into record books. How does Mick McCarthy and the team have that team talk beforehand and make sure that you get that win against Preston? Because we scored two goals in the first half. We really came out the traps flying. Yeah, you know what? You don't have those kind of... Con- you don't really have those conversations about negative yeah. stuff like that. I mean, it, you know, fans will really, really know that and know the stats and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? But... You know, for the players when they're going into a game, listen, they're going into that particular game wanting to win. Yeah. You know, and that's all you're really focused on. You're not really focused on stats and and what have you, because I think otherwise you can get over overwhelmed with it. To be fair, so you know, we were just going into that game to want to get the best result. With the the win that we got against Preston, I, you know. Regardless, from a fan's perspective, it took a lot of pressure off. It'd been a long time since we'd felt a win. I think that would have obviously affected Mick McCarthy. I remember some someone asked him something about having a monkey on his back and he made some kind of funny comment <laughs> as he does. But the players, obviously, that would have took a bit of pressure off as well. Did Mick McCarthy ever set any expectations of what he wanted to achieve in terms of league position um, following that sort of game? Did it feel like, right, we've got that win, let's go for the league? Because we, we were there or thereabouts. We were quite close. Yeah, no, we were. And yeah, absolutely. You know, when you start, start to see the results going our way, you know, you start to obviously for players, it just breathes uh, more and more confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, once you start believing, actually, do you know what we're going into games and knowing actually, do you know, we're going to get chances and we're going, to, you know, we're going to get goals. Yeah. And then, you know, then you start talking about sort of celebrations and stuff like that. That's when you know that actually the players are in the hour and a high yeah. when they start to talk about celebrations before they've actually scored them and, and what have you, you know, or raps, or raps, yeah, <laughs> or raps, yeah. yeah. Um, how how was your relationship with Mick McCarthy? Because I've never heard anyone say I've never heard anyone say they had a bad relationship with him off the top of my head. Yeah, again, Mick McCarthy was you know he's one of the first, well, the only manager that's ever ever pulled me in before getting dropped and had a word with me. So listen, Jeff, you know I'm thinking of dropping you. Your performances over the last couple of games ain't been the best. You need to get back to where you were uh, and start doing the things that you were doing previous it doesn't normally happen like usually you have a get dropped manager tells you it's tactical or whatever or come up with some bullshit story or why they're dropping you instead of just giving you straight which mick is like that yeah you know um you sort of know you stand with him always says his door's always open for players to go and see him but he has got a bit of an aura around him that (laughs) nobody ever used to go and (laughs) walk in his door (laughs) why am i not playing fantastic bloke in terms of getting a club to almost feel like a real big family. Yeah. Again, one of the first managers I ever worked under who, you know, he had a barbecue at the training ground, invited everybody. Every Anybody who worked for the club, he got to come to that event, you know, with their families and the kids and everything like that. And I just thought, wow, you know, that's fantastic because you're starting to mingle with everybody who is part and parcel of the cog. It's not just the players. Yeah. Because you know, without the ground staff, without the, the you know the you know the, the the people who look after the pitch, the kit ladies, and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, and you know they need as much respect, you know, and love and care as as as, as the players do. You know what I mean? And uh, just because they're sort of they're not in the public eye, they need to know that actually, do you know what, you are part of this club, and 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 Mick gets that in a club yeah. to realise that actually if you ever get a player or anybody that is disrespecting somebody who is 
not a player, he comes down on him hard. I was going to say, is anyone that you ever seen him have like a run-in with, with Mick, or was everyone quite scared of him? Oh, listen, you, you know, it, it, listen, it, on the training pitch, it, it can get a bit... Sure. It can get a bit heated, do you know what I mean? And um, did he ever give me some grief? Of course he did. Did he ever give all the other players grief at different times? Yeah, you know, didn't mix his words. But as, you know, as far as a particular player having ding-dongs with Mick, no, not really. Even if they did, it's one of them, he would have a conversation with him, you know, privately. Um, Again, I just think that's the respect that he has with players that, hey, listen, you know, we'll have this discussion, we'll have a discussion as a a, a group. And, uh, you know, if if it's not working, then, you know, we'll look to change it. You know, for me... You know, I always said, you know, Mick was probably, you know, one of the best managers that I that I worked under. Yeah. Um I've seen him away from football also and I've seen him, you know, as a he's a just a genuine, lovely, lovely guy, you know, and uh you know, he's got a fantastic family and everything like that. And like you say what he does with a, with, with clubs with not that much money, I think it's you know, it's amazing. Not many people have that sort of talent to be able to do that. He does it and he does it on a fucking budget. You know, I wish him well. I wish him well with the you know republic yeah. republic job. You know, I think when we speak about Mick McCarthy, I think you just got to look at Ipswich. Yeah. We're trying to get him out for well a section of the the crowd. We're trying to get him out or against his style of football, and mm-hmm. then he's disappeared, and they're already relegated. <laughs> yeah, I think people underappreciate Mick McCarthy. Yeah, so absolutely. Much. And, and it was it was the same with it was the same at Wolves. Yeah. You know, they left Wolves yeah. and they went on they the plummeted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wanted to move forward to a game that you, were, you mentioned before you were actually suspended for, mm-hmm. obviously the FA Cup semi-final. And I remember that as a, a, a much younger fan. Um, I look considerably better than I do now. But I, that was that was devastating when that happened because it would have put us into Europe. You were obviously suspended for it. So you had a sort of extra reason to be unhappy with not just a defeat. Yeah, but I was. I was unhappy. But, I, you know, I remember I warmed up that, that day with, the, you know, with the squad and yeah. tried to still be a part and, and, and try and get the lads, just get them at it. Although I wasn't playing, I wanted to be a part of that day. And if I can give the lads a little bit of a, a bit of a lift, then, uh, you know, that's something that I really wanted to do. And it, it was it was a shame, and you know when you get that far and you get that close to 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 get into a final, it's so disheartening. Yeah, it re- it really is. And the lads were devastated afterwards, you know, because it's a long 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 season to get that far, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, isn't it? You know, it's not meant to be. However, I think uh, you know I think we left that season, and you know we've sort of recovered, and I think we came back. We came back even stronger than yeah. than we did, knowing that you know we were so close to something you know quite special. And then uh, I think the following season, I think really, really topped it off. I think one of the most frustrating things about that, and maybe maybe Millwall fans might disagree with me, but it felt like the game they gave Man United in the final. We we might have lost, but it just felt like we would have given them a better game. Than we did, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah of I mean? course, it's, of course, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we were the better side, but I, I think on on the day in the, the semi final. But I think when it comes to that, that was like the day Tim Cahill decided he would score against us every time he played against <laughs> us. I think he scored about seventy times in a row against us after that. <laughs> yeah. So let's just say I'm pleased to say he's retired. Um, <laughs> another, and you know that that season was kind of the end of it was a bit shrouded in disappointment mm. because of missing out on that epic on the FA Cup final missing out in the playoffs as well but it was a good season from where we thought we were going to be but for you personally you know where I'm going on to please don't hate me for that <laughs> um, let's talk about the penalty now yeah. 
I think we have to. We, you know, we all know what happened. Of course, um, yeah, yeah. What was going through your head as you took the penalty when you saw this three-pronged question? I do this a lot. Go on, so go for it. <laughs> so as you step up, yeah. what made you do what you did? Because I think everyone was just like, oh, what's he done? Yeah, of course, yeah. And then the second time, obviously, you see the keeper save it. What goes through your head then? I'm guessing you've seen Mick McCarthy's reaction. Not quite. Everyone keeps telling me to see it. I know Mick well enough to to, to have an idea of what his reaction was like. Do you know what I mean? So it's funny uh, now. Yeah. Um, and the third part of that question is, what did he say to you sort of afterwards and how was yeah. he in the dressing room towards you personally? That's about four questions. Exactly. Yeah, five yeah. actually. Five, but... yeah. <laughs> so going up to the penalty, I actually felt fairly confident. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, I wouldn't have put my hand up to actually take a penalty. Of course. And so I've put the ball down and then... As I'm running up to the ball, I'm waiting for him to move. That's what I'm doing. I'm waiting for him to move. But I'm halfway there, still hasn't moved, hasn't moved. By this time, I'm over the ball. And I still haven't made a decision because he hasn't moved. So you can imagine, I've got to swing my leg and try and stick it in one of the corners. You know what I mean? And that's why I've obviously, I've tried to stick it into the, um, you know, into the right-hand corner. And do you know what? I pro- I've picked the wrong corner yeah. if I'm over the ball if I'm over the ball really I should be swinging it and sticking it to the left because at least it you know if you bit power. get a little bit of power on it and it's curling away from him and that was that was the thought I was waiting for him to move you know in hindsight listen you 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 have in your mind where you're going to go and maybe just stick to it and, yeah. and hit it with conviction you know don't go wrong obviously you've seen plenty of penalties some of them We'll attempt a little cheeky dink or something like that. I didn't have any of that in mind. So anyway, after I've missed the penalty, you know, the walk back's not great. No. You know what I mean, it's not great because you just, you, you're giving yourself an internal ass whooping in your head, as you can <laughs> yeah. imagine. And then uh, after the game, it, it, Mick didn't speak to me. He didn't speak to me straight after the game. I, I was sat down and Marcus Stewart had his arm arm around me and uh, it, it felt like we were sat there for about two hours. It, you know, we were just both sort of just staring at the floor. And again, I can't, I can't remember if he actually did speak to me after the game. And he might have done. I, I, just, yeah. I just can't quite remember. You know, it's one of them, you know, listen, we have to learn from those situations. And, you know, eventually we had the conversation and it was like, hey, listen, at least you had the balls to take a penalty, which, listen, there was many other players there as well that could have taken penalties. And, you know, I thought, Do you know what, I'll put my hand up like I say I felt felt confident enough but uh, it you know it wasn't meant to be so I suppose you say when you when you when you have times like that and you know you want to obviously prove and come back and obviously do something that actually gets people maybe to forgive and forget about that yeah. penalty do you know what I mean and I think obviously getting promoted I think you know I'd like to think that uh, you know I had a decent part of playing that uh, you know in that season talked about Marcus Stewart there Marcus Stewart, for the, those of us old enough to remember him, kind of came in as like, well, he was, it was him and Tori Andre Flo, and we already had Phillips and Quinny had just retired. Yeah. And Marcus Stewart kind of came to the fore in those seasons. But I've heard a lot about how important he was in the dressing room, how experienced, how great he was. And you just spoke about him there. Was he like the first person that you'd, you'd expect to put his arm around you and like look after you? Yeah, Marcus Stewart was brilliant. I mean, he sat opposite me in the dressing room, so we had, we had a really, really great connection. Wonderful bloke. Like you say, he's got bundles of experience. Marcus Stewart and other players, you know, they've you know they've missed penalties at different stages and what have you. And I suppose when you've got players who get around you and just be like, listen, you know, listen, we're a team. Don't let it consume you and just destroy you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, of it, 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 it's something that that's nice. 
you know, as a, as a player, when you feel like you've let your team down, let the club down, the fans, you've, you know, you, you need that sort of almost grounding that, listen, it's happened. We have to move on from it. It's something that, hey, listen, the, some of the best players miss penalties. You know what I mean? It's not as simple as it as it as it looks. Yeah. And twelve yards, surely. You, you know, some of them make it look ridiculously simple, yeah. like the Balotelli. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, Torre. You know, some of them are just. No, I don't mention that name to me. <laughs> not after that cup final. No, no, no. Ice cool, by the way. You know, some of them. I don't mean to swear on the podcast, but you look at Alan Shearer, expert penalty taker, yet came up against Sunderland and wonderfully, wonderfully put it into the palms of Thomas Sorensen. That was a great day. So it just shows <laughs> that even the best ones can miss it when it really matters. That's it. Um, following on the sort of season afterwards, I don't know whether you know this bit of a weird stat, but you made the exact same amount of appearances as you did in both seasons, 35 appearances. Oh, there you go. There's a bit of, yeah, yeah. Bit of Wikipedia for you. <laughs> but how do you start facing a season sort of moving forward because I know what the fan base can be like I'm part of it yep. I know sometimes it can be quite vitriolic yeah. um, obviously you missed a penalty like that you're going into a new season I imagine you had some vitriol and stuff like that how do you handle personally going into a new season when that has happened previously how do you kind of enter the new season you yourself oh, listen that that gone do you know what I mean I can't yeah. control that and for me listen I'm not taking penalties every week yeah Course. My job's not taking penalties every week. My yeah. job is to stop the other team from playing and break play up. Yeah. You know, give the ball to, you know, Yuliarkas, to players who can obviously stick the ball in the back of the net. You know what I mean? So for me, I just needed to make sure I was as fit as I could be going into yeah. that next season because that that was a lot of my game, you know, getting yeah. around the pitch and, and getting tackles in and, like say, breaking stuff up. So I just had to make sure I was in as as best shape as possible going into that season and making sure that I'm one of the first players that Mick's looking at, at, at picking for that position. There's some good players who are wanting to play in that position yeah, and, 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 and what have you. And, but again, you know, some of them don't like doing the horrible side of the job, which <laughs> I was sort of used to doing, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, part of my game, or most of my game, you know. You played in a side sort of that season, especially that um, had a lot of players who did more than a good job for Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Who was your favourite midfield partner that you had at Sunderland? It would be um, Carl Robertson. A few people have mentioned Carl Robertson, an unfashionable name. Yeah. But... yeah. I think the two of us really, really gelled well with the different styles, I think, that we both had. He was one he would get on the ball and be the one, you know, knocking about. But for me and him, we were good talkers together and, and what have you, we were good communicators. And um, Gary Breen, it's fantastic to have him behind you. Yeah. Um, because I don't need to keep looking behind me to see who's behind me because you've got him telling you who's on your left shoulder, who's on your right shoulder. And that communication with your, your, your centre-backs, your midfield partner, it's crucial because, you know, if he's not telling me who's behind me and blocking that pass into him, well, he's doing less running anyway because I'm stopping the pass going into his centre forward. But it's honestly, it's huge. Like I say, Robert was he was just he was he was a fantastic midfielder to play with. Yeah, energetic, good passer, good talker in the dressing room and stuff like that. So yeah, really, I did. I really, really enjoyed playing with him. I just think it worked really, really well. One of my funniest Jeff Whitley memories. We've already <laughs> touched on it already. We've spoke about spoke about tackles. Yeah, spoke about. Uh, the style of play. Yeah. It's a game against West Ham. So I think it's Christian Daly's trying to clear the ball off the line. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
was that a tackle or was that a shot on goal? Oh no, he's trying to clear it. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? So it was it was just a case of just steam into him. You got it in the top corner. Just steam into him. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know, that's that's if the ball's there to be won, I'm going in. Yeah, and it was it, it was there to be won, and uh, if I missed the ball, then he was going in the net as well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that was. <laughs> I want to get something on it here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That was the, when I seen it. It was just going full force here, and luckily, obviously, I got the ball and got it, got it over the line. I watched it back again the other day, and the most unbelievable part of it is how you managed to hit the top corner from two <laughs> yards out. <laughs> Doesn't trickle in like you hit the top corner directly, like right in the corner. And Christian Daly's just like on the floor. Yeah. Fantastic goal! Yeah, goal of the season for me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> maybe not quite but yeah <laughs> um, that season like I said before you played 35 games mm. um, for Sunderland or 35 appearances now the last sort of 7 or 8 games though um, mm. if my memory serves me right you kind of almost got dropped entirely yeah. um, come the end of the season obviously you were released you'd played a really integral part in both seasons yeah. like I said 35 appearances is pretty much the entirety of the season what reasons did Mick give you for A being released and how did that affect you mentally from being a really important first team player to being released yeah um, without giving too much away because I'm hopefully going to be bringing out a book at some stage yep. I'm not going to give you too much on the whole incident of why I got dropped there was a reason why I got dropped and I understand I understood why I got dropped I didn't think at the time that if we get promoted, that it would be a case of, oh, do you know what? Hey, listen, see you later. Because, you know, like I said, I'd played quite most, most of the yeah, season up to that stage. So there was an incident that happened um, prior to me getting dropped. And uh, obviously I was trying to fight myself back into the team and everything like that. But I think it got to a point with Mick and myself that I'd had several incidences where... With Mick McCarthy, he has boundaries. Yeah, and I'd crossed, I'd crossed the boundary um, with him, and also you know rules in football and stuff like that. That he wasn't, he wasn't going to allow that to just to fly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when I eventually had the conversation with him after we got promoted and everything like that, yeah, was I gutted? Yeah, I was, I was devastated. Yeah, because you know, I was thinking, you know back in the Premier League and, um, you know, looking forward to obviously playing with, you know, the lads I've, you know, built a, a real, real good uh, bond with and everything like that. So leaving, yeah, it was hard. It was, I was, I was, I was gutted. Do you know what I mean? However, a lot of it was my fault. And, uh, but again, without understanding the, the nature of who I am and stuff like that at mm-hmm. that time, um, that it was hard to take, but down the line, I I, I started to realise actually, when somebody is sort of desperate at times, like I mentioned at the start of the season, yeah. you can keep something together for a for a period. But I knew, I listen with the amount of points that we had, I was thinking we are not going to get caught, not the way we're playing. No, and 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 that was my that was my 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 gut feeling. We are never getting caught. The, the, you know the points that we got that season and everything. It was uh, it was a great season, and I and I, you know I I had a great time. Do I have some regrets? Whilst I was at Sunderland, of course I do. Yeah, you know, it's quite quite a few. 
<laughs> you know, I'm not going to tell you all of them, but yeah. I have certain regrets that, um, but again, at the time, didn't know any different about my some of my own personal issues. Towards, obviously, when you got released, you moved on towards Cardiff. Yes. Which I think is where, in terms of what you've spoke about in the past, is where a lot of your maybe addictions or problems really came to light or when maybe you realized it. Can you talk me through, if possible, sort of that period in your life when you're at Cardiff and how you discovered it had manifested itself as deep as it had? Yeah. Like I said, I'd always had issues with going out, partying and stuff like that. And do you know what? A lot of people, especially when I was at Man City, a lot of the young, you know, a lot of, you know, some of the staff members and some of the players are like, oh, you know, he's he's a young player, you know what I mean? He'll grow out of it and what have you. In my instance, it progressed. It progressed and uh, and it was something that, you know, when I got to Cardiff, similar things happened there. I'd got introduced to certain people, certain, certain nightclub owners and this and mm-hmm. that. And before long, I get sucked into into that sort of life, lifestyle as well. And for a period, you know, wasn't that well known there, so you could sort of go under the radar for yeah. a little bit. But all of a sudden, once you start playing and stuff like that, then they start seeing you in the papers and stuff. It's a little bit a little bit harder to stay <laughs> stay under the radar. But for me, the 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 point for me was when the manager actually decided you know, the second season. And Dave Jones was like, listen, you don't, don't bother coming in. You know, don't bother coming in. You're, you're a pain in the ass, basically. <laughs> you keep dragging the boys out and this and that. Yeah, for me, I was used to thinking, what do you mean dragging them out? They're freaking grown men. I don't drag them out. <laughs> I mean, they don't put guns to their head and say, listen, you're coming out having a drink. But I would suppose I was, I was maybe quite manipulative and, getting people on my side and getting people who maybe didn't like the manager and getting them to come out with us and stuff like that. So, you know, I understand as managers, they don't want, they don't want somebody in the squad who's going to be very, you know, disruptive. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and all from a career, I always had people taking drugs, class A drugs, all from a career. And I was always sort of paranoid of, um, I was always paranoid of taking class A drugs. Yeah. And, uh, because of the, you get random drug tested in in, in football, yeah. So, but at this time, I was at such a I was at such a low that I thought, sorry, I don't need to go. I don't need to go in. I thought, sorry, I've got. I don't. I'm not going to get tested. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, well, do you know what? I'll I'll go on and try cocaine. So as soon as I tried it, boom, hooked, hooked. Um, because not only does it give me the confidence, the high that I almost wanted without the cocaine, yeah, it all also allowed me to to drink more and stay and stay sober and just party for days and days and it's days consistent. and days. Uh, you know, I was on you know decent money there and ended up buying blocks of cocaine, not little bags of cocaine, you know, and, uh, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, going missing for a while, I say, uh, through just consuming, consuming, uh, you know, cocaine and drinking, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, before long, it stops working. It stops working. It, the, the, the alcohol stops giving you the buzz that you first get after maybe four or five. Yeah. Um, and then, that high I just described to you when you when you first take it, that 
I'd gone. So now I'm just taking it for the sake of taking it, but it's not doing it's not the same. Doing what you wanted it not, well, not what you wanted it to do. But yeah, yeah, it's not giving me that same you hold, yeah, yeah, it's not giving that same high the confidence and all that kind of stuff. And I loved going out and meeting people and being around people and partying with people. Well, eventually I was partying on my own. That's where it took me. I was partying on my own for months, you know, and um, and when you're doing that day in day out, and you know you're throwing up and you're throwing up blood, and it's just messy. You're not washing. You're not you're not looking after yourself. It's it's quite scary. Family trying to get hold of me. Agents trying to get hold of me. Managers like trying to get me out the door. He can't get hold of me. Um, you know, in the end, they put a they put a <laughs> they put a piece in the paper. In the Echo in, in Cardiff. In Cardiff. Saying, has anybody seen Jeff Whitley? Can you contact this number? Because I just wasn't just wasn't picking up to nobody. And the only person I was ringing was my dealer and going yeah. down and getting some drink, getting some more alcohol, going back into back into my place. It was like a spa shop. My uh, my apartment, you know, red wine, white wine, brandy, whiskey, <laughs> you name it. It's just all wrapped just up everything. there. Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight. It wasn't a pretty sight. And then all of a sudden when you start to you start to get the craziest thoughts when you're on your own, you know what I mean? And of course, you know, you're yes. you know, you're crying, you're missing you you know, I was missing my I remember I was missing my pet both my parents have passed away, so yeah. Um passed away when I you know, when I was eleven. So uh, you know, at that stage for some reason I was really missing him and really you know, um, you know, crying and everything and and, and just thinking now. How different it might have been if you if, had the support of that. If if, yeah. if if they were there, you know what I mean. Uh, but hey, listen, you know they might have still they might have still been here, and I still might have ended up going down that route. Who you know who knows? And uh, but eventually, I ended up coming. I ended up going back to Manchester from Cardiff. I was partying in 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 Manchester, and uh, and it wasn't fun. Was having all the paranoia and everything like that, yeah. and then uh, <laughs> sort of kidnapped this fella from 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 Cardiff, this French kid. And uh, when I say kidnapped, he was just a drinking buddy that yeah, said, yeah. Listen, come with come with us. <laughs> anyway, we're in the in the room, and I start and I just burst out crying in the room, and he's like, "Oh, he's like, he's like, what's up with you?" I just caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror, and I was like. And I just don't know who this kid is. Haven't got a clue who he is, and I was just in 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 tatters. So then I uh, I phoned phoned my brother reluctantly to try and try and get some help. He luckily he didn't he didn't pick up, and I phoned this other friend of mine called Tom, and uh, he picked up. And uh, you know I'm on the phone and I'm and in bits on the phone, and he's like Jeff, he goes. Uh, because has anybody got a gun to your head? I've gone no. He's gone. Has anybody got a knife to your throat? I've gone no. He went. You'll be all right. He says. Just get yourself round to my house. <laughs> so I was like, right, okay. Got in a cab, went over to his house, and um, I was at his house for about two days, virtually sort of detoxing off the yeah. drink and the alcohol. And then after two days, he went right. He says, you need to tell your brother, Jim. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, phoned Jim and Jim came round to his uh, to his place, and then I spewed all my stuff to Jim and told him actually, 
exactly. My brother knew there was something wrong because in the end, I'm borrowing money off my brother and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, you know, spending a grand in a night and he's like, just give you a grand. He says, where's it gone? You know what I mean? Who spends a grand in a night? It's like, it's just lying and just, you know, coming up with all sorts of rubbish of where the money's gone and stuff like that. So, so again, I think the money allows you to, 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 indulge. to indulge in and almost mask it a little bit. But, you know, in the end, listen, I was, I was in the end spending money I didn't have because the addiction had got hold of me that much. And times I used to go missing, I'd go and book a suite in a hotel and go and stay in a hotel for, you know, I remember going to Newcastle. I stayed in Newcastle for two weeks when I was at Wrexham, actually. Yeah. I was in Wrexham. I got a taxi from, no, Oswald Street, sorry. I got a taxi from Oswald Street to Newcastle with no no clothes or anything. I just had my card on me. So I got to Newcastle, booked into a hotel, and I was there for two weeks. So I was just bought myself a load of clothes and stuff like that. And yeah. I just spent sort of two weeks just, you know, getting off my face. You know, it's not, again, it's not, it's not a pretty, pretty sight. But eventually I went back to my brother's and then, um, and then I ended up phoning Sporting Chance. Which is Tony Adams. Tony Adams, yeah. Tony Adams is uh, his clinic. I phoned Sporting Chance and I spoke to um, one of the therapists there called James West. And he said, yeah, listen, you know, you need to come down and, you know, we'll assess you and see, see whether it's, you know, it's for you or not. Yeah. I went down there. My brother took me down there about three days after. Had my assessment within 20 minutes. He's like, yeah, you, you, you need to come in. You know, you need to come in. And uh, I didn't go in straight away. I had two weeks before the next treatment cycle started. And somehow I stayed sober um, for those two weeks. And in those two weeks, my daughter was born. Uh, she was three days old. And then I went into the clinic couldn't wait to get there to be fair yeah couldn't wait to get there it was something that uh i wanted to find out what was wrong with me and uh and how do i how do i get well and it was only when i started to go through my therapy and also when i started to then speak to other addicts and alcoholics that i actually realized that wow i am not the only person yeah common bond going through this and has this insane head that tells you, do you know what? You're all right. You'll be okay. Just, you know, just change your drink or change, change the missus or change the city, change the manager. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You'll be all right. Yeah. You know, no, it doesn't matter where you go, Jeff, you're always going to be with you. You're yeah. the problem, <laughs> not everybody else. Yeah. And, uh, and it, I, you know, when you start hearing these other stuff from other, you know, other addicts and stuff like that, it's like bloody hell. This is music to my ears because now I know the problem, and now I know there's a solution, which is obviously the twelve step program of recovery. You yeah. know, within AA, and then I started to I started to go through my therapy, but also when I came out, um, came out of therapy, or came out of rehab, I had to then go and maintain myself. So like yesterday, I was at an AA meeting yesterday. You yeah. know. Um, uh, in Altrincham, uh, it's it's a long life commitment. I'm never cured. I'm never cured, and you know other people that might be listening to this, you know, who might have been in one of the fellowships. You know, there's other fellowships. There's GA, yeah, of course, gambling yeah, yeah. anonymous, cocaine yeah. anonymous, and but the the, the, the principles of the twelve step program and traditions are, really are, are virtually the same. Yeah, 
you know. So I have to maintain myself, and that for me is 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 what keeps me alive and keeps me in a good place. Without that, if I stop going, uh, I would probably be like the other lads who I was in the clinic with. They've all relapsed. One of them's actually yeah. in. One of them's actually in jail. He was doing a ten-year stretch for being off his being off his face, and uh, got in his car and he ploughed a young lady off her oh, off her bike uh, and killed her. So, and that's really the dangers that can come with it, as well as the they are they are the uh, they call them the yets. So there's certain certain stories that I hear in sort of you know in AA meetings that. It might might not be. It might I might not have been through that. Do you know what I mean? I might not have been to jail, or I might not have uh, ransacked my mother and father's bank, or you know, or robbed off my brothers or sisters. But these things eventually could come. Yeah. And somebody who's desperate, and somebody who's in that place where they need to use, or they need to get money to drink, or some, they'll start to do some insane stuff. Yeah, and I've come across those people who who they can't believe some of the things that they've done to their loved ones in order to go and drink or use. But that's the nature of the illness, yeah. you know. And um, if if we don't stay on top of it, then it it even though I might not be drinking or taking drugs, the addict can still try and fix on something else. Yeah, of course, and. For me, I think sometimes people don't understand that. It's like they think they've just got a problem with the, the, the drinking drugs, but no, obviously you're not feeding yourself with that. Then it might go to porn, women, uh, compulsive buying. It might be technology. You want the latest phone or whatever, you know, social media, you know, and uh, gaming, you know. Something that masks, something that's Something issue. that masks and changes the way you feel. Because yeah. ultimately I am trying to change the way I'm feeling through these other external external things. Yeah. Um, and for me, one of the reasons why I went to rehab was, yeah, I want to stop drinking, I want to stop taking drugs because it was killing me. But ultimately, I ought to find out who I was, not just Jeff the football, I'm a person, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just I played football and that was something I enjoyed doing. It, it doesn't define who who I am. Uh, and I wanted a peace, in my, I just wanted a peace in my soul, you know what I mean? And that was empty, you know? was empty and that's something that you know i can i can say today do you know what i i I do have peace in my life do i still have challenges in my life yeah of course i do my solution isn't why i always did the drink drugs you know i can honestly say i never ever went to my friends and went oh listen i've got a problem let's go to the pub we go to the pub we get a good few scoops i never came out the pub with a great solution (laughs) No, <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a headache though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never ever came out with a great solution. Do you know what I mean? Usually, more drama and headache. Yeah, you know. Um, my life's different today. Do you know what I mean? My yeah. life is my life's different. Like I say, I brought my friend here, Mick. There's not many people that there's not many people that I used to drink with. Um, and Mick didn't drink, by the way. <laughs> you know, I went to bar, but I didn't drink. Yeah. Uh, yeah and you know there's not many people that i still see that i used to go drinking with yeah because a lot of them are still drinking yeah and um and still up to no good and and i gotta remember did i did i ever ring anybody to go for a coffee or whatever (laughs) 
No, no you're joking. <laughs> he was like, go for a coffee. Fuck. Stick some whiskey on something. Like <laughs> Irish coffee. Yeah. 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 You know. So, um, and it was great because Mick actually tried to track me down and it was like, it was just, it was just brilliant. And I was like, oh, bloody hell, it's great. And I came up and seen him. So it was just, it, you know, it's fantastic. And um, I have a different circle of friends to what I did have. And, uh, you know, it's quite funny, you know, when you're, when you're playing and everything's grey and the money's grey and you're driving flash cars and this and that. You know, as a as a as a young footballer, you you think that you got lots and lots of friends. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you think you got lots and lots of friends, and then all of a sudden the football goes, the money goes, you go bankrupt. Uh, you soon start to find out actually who your friends are. That was a, you know, I look back and I remember being in rehab and I remember thinking, uh, you know, can I, nobody's, nobody's actually nobody's actually phoned or. You know, even when I came out, it was like, oh, funny now, my phone's not even rang or anything. Do you know what I mean? You know, but I have to realize I had a big, big part to play in some of those people being around me, you know? Yeah, of course. Because I was a people pleaser. I was a bit of a show off and stuff like that. So if you go out, I'm I'm, I'm paying for everything. Yeah, I'm paying for everything. You know, Super Magnum Grey Goose. Yeah, I'm paying for that. It looks impressive. It comes in a bit, little bath of ice, you know? Um <laughs> So I don't hold any resentment to, to 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 some of those people, and they weren't all bad people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just some of them, I look back and I think, God, do you know what? I didn't I didn't know where they lived. I didn't know some of their full names. I didn't know some of their whether they had brothers or sisters. Uh, we were just drinking buddies. Yeah, you knew them in the pub. You knew them in the pub. We were drinking buddies and 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 what have you. And but do you know what? Along the way, I did. I met some. I met some. I met some lovely people. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I was up uh, when I when I came up to, to, to Sunderland. Ended up staying with a family up here. They, they they just invited me into their home, and I I stayed with them for a while. You know, yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely people. And they and they looked after us. You know what I mean? And um, you know, and I'll I'll you know I'll never forget that. And certain certain people at different different clubs where I've where, where I've played, y- you meet some unique people. Yeah, some real genuine gems, and um, you, know, you know, some of them might be listening to, to to this. You know, I just want to say, you know, real big thanks to, you know, the time that I had up here, and there will there will always be a, a part uh, in my heart that I think, do you know what, that what they did was 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 so lovely, yeah. uh, you know, and I'll never, you know, I'll never forget that. Difficult question that I might ask. And I might have the time skill a little bit wrong. Go for it. <laughs> but if you could go back to say 2005 Jeff Whitley as 2019 Jeff Whitley, mm. what would you say to him? I would, I would be saying to him, do do what you're doing now. Do you know what I mean? Because one, I'm not self-centered. I'm not self-seeking. I don't, uh, you know, I like to think of other people more. I don't want to give up all of my time because I've got two, I've got two two beautiful kids. Yeah. And um, you know, my wife, and. Uh, it's it's something that if if I was doing some of the stuff I was doing now, I believe yeah I would have been a better player. I would have been a much better teammate. I probably would have confronted more managers. To be honest with you, just having that self esteem and that self belief that actually no, I've actually got you know for me, I've got a right to know why you're actually dropping me or why certain players you know are not maybe doing what they're doing and actually confront them. 
you know, head on instead of maybe just going, oh, I can't be asked with maybe <laughs> the, the flack that I might get. But I think just gen- generally just a better human being and, 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 and being around, um, being a better role model, I suppose, yeah. as well with some of the young players. You know, I look at some some of the young players that I sort of influenced even when I was at Man City and stuff like that. It's not great, you know? Yeah. It's not great. And some of them I've had to make amends to, even though they're like, ah, Jeffrey, you know, you, you refine it. It's like, no, I sort of introduced you to, like I got introduced to a certain lifestyle when I was young and thinking, oh, this is what it's like That's to be a footballer. Yeah, this is what it's like to be a footballer. No, actually, no, it's it's not. If you want to be a top professional footballer, the likes of Paul Scholes, for instance, okay? Paul Scholes, I lived in Manchester. I went to loads of bars, restaurants, clubs, um, seeing all the other lads, Beckham's gigs and all that kind of stuff, the Neville's, Andy Cole, Dwight York. Not once, not once did I see Paul Scholes. <laughs> not once. Yeah. You know, for me, it says it all. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, he's, he wasn't one of the greatest players for no reason. Yeah. You know, um, just really, really good, good professional. And I suppose, listen, I had players who I played with who were very, very good professionals. You know, I look back, I think they're the guys I should have been man marking and learning from those senior players of, you know, how they got to where they've got, how, why they playing for so long because these guys are looking after themselves. Yeah. Looking after themselves, they've actually got businesses up and running before they finish playing. So their transition is pretty straightforward because they've got they've got other interests other than just playing football. Yeah, there were certain things, certain players that ugh, I look back. I think I can't believe you didn't spend more time with them. You know, someone like George Weir. Yeah, he came to Man City. Fucking George, George Weir. Weir. Like you know, even when we heard he was coming, we were like, yeah, right, oh. Uh, and then he turns up at the training ground. Why? Why did you not spend all your time, time pecking his head? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you just don't come across players like that all the time. So yeah, I think if I if I had my time back, <coughs> I would spend more time at the training ground, manipulating the ball, watching my games a lot more, studying the games a lot more. I wish I'd done my coaching badges whilst I was playing. Yeah. I did it at the end, uh, and then when I did my coaching badges, I was kicking myself, going, "Why didn't you do this when you were playing?" I watched the games differently. I would have had much more, even more respect for coaches and managers and stuff like that. Because when I eventually did a bit of coaching, I went out to Norway and did some coaching out in Norway. Seven o'clock in the morning, we're we're up and and putting you know putting the session together at seven o'clock. It's pitch black still, <laughs> you know. I was like, all day you know it's, it's something that I'm thinking wow but managers you know have had to put a session on that yeah, been done gets the best out of the players and understands actually but again did I ever go and peck a manager's head and go what was that session all about it was yeah. shocking <laughs> you know or that was a great session what what was that about some of them you can you can you don't you, you, as a player you know what that session was about but some of them you're like oh, scratching your head going I'm not too sure. You never paid under Howard Wilkinson, did you, for someone? No, no. no. <laughs> There's some stories in that. <laughs> There's some stories in that. Yeah. Talk about some negative experiences, but mm. it's definitely been turned into a positive. And, yeah. and the way I found you was via, obviously, the PFA's website. Yeah. Uh, you work as part of the, the wellbeing team. 
um, which I think is self-explanatory and stuff like that. But yeah. um, for people who may not know, and I think there's a few that do, but for those who don't, what does your sort of day-to-day entail or what does your job entail at the PFA at the moment? So, you know, we'll get emails, we'll get calls um, from players who are, you know, who are struggling. It's for, you know, our department is to make sure that w- one, they get assessed uh, and just find out exactly what that particular player needs. Listen, we we get loads of phone calls, emails from family members and uh, club owners or directors and this and that. But ultimately, we need to we need to know if the player wants to help. Yeah, can be frustrating for families, you know, when they've got somebody who they love and they're not willing to go and seek help. And uh, I I know that from experience that when people are telling me I've got a problem, I'll quickly get rid of you out of my life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and start putting the the barriers up. And so we have to connect with the player, find out what his needs are. Uh, and find out what his issue is, and then we would then signpost that particular player to a therapist in the uh, in the country because one of our partners is obviously Sporting Chance. Yes, and um, so we would link from their postcode. We would link a therapist uh, to them, and then we would fund up to twelve sessions of therapy for that particular player. And uh, if they're at a point where they're a little bit too far gone, then they might maybe need detox. So we have to then send them into detox before they go to Sporting Chance because they can't go to Sporting Chance if they're still using. So they'll go to detox uh, first and then and then go into Sporting Chance for 26 days. Other stuff that I do, I do, I see clients myself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll see up to, uh, you know, again, part and part of when I got into recovery, I went on and did my did my counselling course. So uh, yeah, fully qualified therapist so i'll see up to up to five players um uh, uh, you know uh, uh, not all at once but uh see them on a one-to-one basis uh sometimes they might come to the office uh, and see me in the office in in manchester or wherever they feel comfortable uh so that might be might be their house yeah uh, you know uh, the other thing that we do is i go to football go to the clubs um and go and Talk to the the eighteens, the twenty threes. Um, we will obviously. I know they've done some some of the first team uh, uh, clubs also, and just let them know about the emo- uh, you know the emotional rollercoaster that you can go on as 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 a, as a young player. Um, give them some of my experience of some of the things that uh, that I went through, some of the things I did wrong, some of the things I did well. Um, and more importantly, how to then access, you know, the help and the support. So whether they can, they can email, um, they can email the uh, the wellbeing uh, email address. They can phone. They can text. But the text message only works in from nine till five. Yeah. Uh, but the, the but the actual number, they can call that. Uh, you know, at any time. Uh, you know, that's you know twenty four seven. Um. So sort of day to that, and then I'm like today I've been over to I've been over to I've been over to Peter Lee uh, to see to see a player and just give him some support and give him some uh, some strategies and some guidance really on certain things that he can do um, sort of on a day to day basis to try and help him get into a better place. And there's certain players I have weekly contact with over the phone. Um, some of them might be might be a Skype call. Or face to uh, sorry FaceTime, 
uh, call. But it's generally giving the, the 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 members the support if 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 they need it because I know it's difficult at times when you're a player and your family are obviously trying to they're really worried about you and stuff like that. But some of them maybe don't understand actually how how different and difficult it is in the football environment. Yeah, they, they just don't they just don't don't get it. Um, and then when you're obviously talking to another player, they'd be like I was saying to you about talking to another alcoholic, you know, player talking to another player who's been in that environment, knows how it can be and how difficult it can be. And, you know, it, it, it sort of puts their minds uh, at ease. But also there's certain things that I would have done differently. Yeah. Had I been sort of injured, long-term injury, what sort of things would I have done? You know what I mean? One of them, if I've got a long-term injury, for instance, go and man-mark the manager, if yeah. he'll allow it. Go and man-mark him, find out what, why is he picking that team or why is he doing this and why is he doing that and get a really better perspective of what is the manager doing, Yeah, you know? And if he doesn't want to, if the first team manager doesn't, go and man-mark the youth team manager. Go and, go and stand with him and find, be a part of something. Even though you're still injured, you can still be learning. Yeah. You know, um, and a lot of players I hear is, you know, when they're injured, it's like, oh, I'm bored. I don't, you know, don't know what to do and this and that. And I'm thinking, Jesus, there's so many, so many other things that you can be doing whilst you're injured. Go and do your coaching badges. You can be injured and go and finish your coaching badges. You know, um, go, go and study, go and study your games. Go and get all your games off the analysts and go and sit with a coach. Find out why you're not getting the ball there and, you know, look at your passes that you're not good at and things like that. Go and learn a different language. Go and learn how to play the piano. Do something that will yeah. lift your self-esteem. You know, okay, you're not, you're not, you're not playing, but something like Pep. I see Pep do a lot. You got injured players there, and he's got them in the dressing room before the game. He'll take yeah. them away. I know not every club has got the budget though to take but, but still, injured players, but, but, but yeah. it makes players who are injured still feel a part of it. Unlike sometimes, I won't mention which managers, but. Listen, there was times when I was injured. I could be on the bed and the manager will walk in. He won't even look at you. Because you're not playing. You're not good to him. Yeah. It's almost like you're not there. And you know what? For for your own sort of worth, it's it's devastating. Oh, of course. When you when you sort of got respect for a manager and he's just completely blank and he won't even say hello to you. He's like, you look at you and he's like, you're still injured. You know, when you say yeah, he just walks off, doesn't say anything. You know, and for, for me, I just, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? These, these are human beings that you're dealing with. I like to think me- mental health's talked about a lot, lot more now. That yeah. we want players to be able to feel actually. Do you know what? If you're not feeling great, be okay with it. There's help out there. If the club are not going to give you, you don't want to go to the club, which a lot of players don't want to go to the club because they're on impl- the contract they're getting paid they might be out of con- they might be coming to uh, you know to, to 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 the end of the contract and they might be thinking well oh, can we go and tell the manager that I'm you know, having issues I'm yeah. having issues you know can I get released am I going to get sold am I going to get seen as a yeah, problem yeah yeah absolutely yeah. I remember one you know one particular play he'd said that uh, you know he had a problem and then you know come to somebody it was like listen uh, <laughs> you're going out on loan I was like oh, what Want him out? That was him saying he wanted he wanted some help with uh, you know with a problem. Hey, listen, we want people to be you know because everybody it doesn't matter whether it's football because I hear that a lot. People saying, "Oh, is it football? 
Is it because they get paid so much? It's life. And it's like, it's in society, what about? It's because they get paid loads of money. It's not, it not, can facilitate addictions. But not every but. not every league, they're getting paid fortunes. You know, you're going to have addiction in the building site, in the building trade. You're going to, you know, lawyers, doctors, you know, there's going to be addictions in all walks of life. Call um, centers. Call centers, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it exists but everywhere. The, the, the good thing about the footballers is they have a union that will support them if they've got if they've got problems, all they need to do is pick up the phone. Yeah. You know, pick up the phone, call a number, call the helpline number, you know, or, se- or send an email. I know obviously some of them, some of them won't uh, pick up the number, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it's something that they don't need to be afraid of. And the email address for everyone, obviously, if they're listening, it's wellbeing at the pfa.co.uk. I believe that's right. Mm-hmm. Um. Jeff, that was really interesting. And thanks so much for doing it and being so open, so honest. And uh, I'll forgive you for the penalty because you came in. <laughs> oh, um, so you let off. But, uh, <laughs> no, it was great. No, listen, I really, no, really enjoyed it. No, like I say, no, thanks, thanks for you know asking us to come in. Um, no problem. You know, and I hope uh, hope other players come in and uh, you know give you a sort of insight to you know some of the ups and downs of uh, you know football in life. It's not it's not all it's not all glamorous. It's not better. Really, um, really. It's got some insane highs uh, that you can get you know as a player as a fan but there is there is an afterlife after football yeah and that's something that's really important for me to be able to help players to understand listen you know I know the football's come to an end but that's not the end of you (laughs) you know you're more than just a footballer and they can go on and have happy lives you know out of football amazing Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 